With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chapter 31 of Charlie to the Rescue. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rachel. Charlie to the Rescue by R. M. Ballantyne. Chapter 31. Failure and a New Sense. Although our hero's plan of search may seem to some rather quixotic, there was nothing further from his thoughts than merely playing at the game of amateur detective. Being enthusiastic and sanguine, besides being spurred on by an intense desire to rescue the father of May Leather, Charlie Brooke was thoroughly in earnest in his plan. He knew that it would be useless to attempt such a search and rescue in any other capacity than that of a genuine pauper, at least in appearance and action. He therefore resolved to conduct the search in character and to plunge at once into the deepest pools of the slubs. It is not our intention to carry the reader through the Arabian Night-like adventures which he experienced in his quest. Suffice it to say that he did not find the lost man in the pools in which he fished for him, but he ultimately, after many weeks, found one who led him to the goal he aimed at. Meanwhile there were revealed to him numerous phases of life, or rather of living death in the slums of the great city which caused him many a heartache at the time and led him ever afterwards to consider with anxious pity the condition of the poor the so-called lost and lapsed the depraved degraded and unfortunate of course he found as so many had found before him that the demon drink was at the bottom of most of the misery he witnessed but he also learned that whereas many weak and vicious natures dated the commencement of their final descent and fall from the time when they begin to drink Many of the strong and ferocious spirits had begun a life of wickedness in early youth, and only added drink in after years as a little additional fuel to the already roaring flame of Sid. It is well known that men of all stamps and creeds and classes are to be found in the low lodging-houses of all great cities. At first Charlie did not take note of this, being too earnestly engaged in the search for his friend, and anxious to avoid drawing attention on himself but as he grew familiar with these scenes of misery and destitution, he gradually began to be interested in the affairs of other people, and, as he was eminently sympathetic, he became the confidant of several paupers, young and old. A few tried to draw him out, but he quietly checked their curiosity without giving offence. It may be remarked here that he at once dropped the style of talk which he had adopted when representing Jim Mace, because he found so many in the lodging-houses who had fallen from a good position in society that grammatical language was by no means singular. His size and strength also saved him from much annoyance, for the roughs, who might otherwise have bullied him, felt that it would be wise to leave him alone. On one occasion, however, his pacific principles were severely tested as well as his manhood, and as this led to important results we must recount the incident. There was a little lame elderly man who was a habitual visitor at one of the houses which our hero frequented, he was a humorous character who made light of his troubles, and was a general favorite. Charlie had felt interested in the man, and in ordinary circumstances would have inquired into his history. But, as we have said, he laid some restraint on his natural tendency to inquire and sympathize. As it was, however, he showed his good will by many little acts of kindness, such as making way for Zook, so he was called, 
what he wanted to get to the general fire to boil his tea or coffee, giving him a portion of his own food, on the half-pretense that he had eaten as much as he wanted, etc. There was another habitué of the same lodging, named Stoker, whose temperament was the very opposite to that of little Zook. He was a huge, burly dock-laborer, an ex-prize-fighter, and a disturber of the peace wherever he went. Between Stoker and Zook there was nothing in common save their poverty, and the former had taken a strong dislike to the latter, presumably on the ground of Zook's superiority in everything except bulk of frame. Charlie had come into slight collision with Stoker on Zook's account more than once, and had tried to make peace between them, but Stoker was essentially a bully. He would listen to no advice, and had more than once told the would-be peacemaker to mind his own business. One evening, towards the close of our hero's search among the lodging-houses, little Zook entered the kitchen of the establishment, teapot and penny-loaf in hand. He hastened towards the roaring fire that might have roasted a whole sheep, and which served to warm the entire basement story, or kitchen, of the tenement. "'Here, Zook,' said Charlie, as the former passed the table at which he was seated taking his supper, "'I've bought more than I can eat, as usual. I've got two red herrings and can eat only one. Will you help me?' "'It's all fish that comes to my net, Charlie,' said the little man, skipping towards his friend, and accepting the herring with a grateful but exaggerated bow. We omitted to say that our hero passed among the paupers by his Christian name, which he had given as being, from its very universality, the best possible alias. A few minutes later Stoker entered and went to the fire, where loud, angry voices soon told that the bully was at his old game of peace-disturber. Presently a cry of shame was heard, and poor Zook was seen lying on the floor with his nose bleeding. "'Who cried shame?' demanded the bully, looking fiercely around. "'I did not!' said Charlie Brooke, striding towards him, for I did not know it was you who knocked him down, but I do cry shame on you now for striking a man so much smaller than yourself, and without provocation I warrant. And pray who are you? returned Stoker, in a tone that was meant to be witheringly sarcastic. I am one who likes fair play, said Charlie, restraining his anger, for he was still anxious to throw oil on the troubled waters and if you call it fair play for a heavy-weight like you to attack such a light-weight as Zook, you must have forgotten somehow that you are an Englishman. Come now, Stoker, say to Zook you are sorry and won't worry him any more, and I'm sure he'll forgive you. Here, here, cried several of the onlookers. Perhaps I may forgive him, said Zook with a humorous leer as he wiped his bleeding nose. I'd do almost anything to please Charlie. This was received with a general laugh, but Stoker did not laugh. He turned on our hero with a look of mingled pity and contempt. "'No, Mr. Charlie,' he said, "'I won't say I'm sorry, because I'd tell a big lie if I did, and I'll worry him just as much as I please. But I'll tell you what I'll do. If you show yourself as ready with your bunches of fives as you are with your tongue, and agree to fight me, I'll say to Zook that I'm sorry and won't worry him any more.' There was dead silence for a minute after the delivery of this challenge, and much curiosity was exhibited as to how it would be taken. Charlie cast down his eyes in perplexity. Like many big and strong men, he was averse to use his superior physical powers in fighting. Besides this, he had been trained by his mother to regard it as more noble to suffer than to avenge insults, and there is no doubt that if the bully's insult had affected only himself, he would have avoided him, if possible, rather than come into conflicts. Having been trained also to let scripture furnish him with rules for action, his mind irresistibly recalled the turning of the other cheek to the smiter, but the fact that he was at that moment acting in defence of another, not of himself, prevented that from relieving him. Suddenly, like the lightning flash, there arose to him the words, 
smite a scorner and the simple will beware indeed all that we have mentioned and much more passed through his troubled brain with the speed of light lifting his eyes calmly to the face of his opponent he said i accept your challenge no no charlie cried the alarmed zook in a remonstrative tone you'll do nothing of the sort the man's an old prize-fighter you haven't a chance why i'll fight him myself rather than let you do it and with that the little man began to square up and twirl his fists and skip about in front of the bully in spite of his lameness but took care to keep well out of his reach it's a bargain then said charlie holding out his hand done answered the bully grasping it well then the sooner we settle this business the better continued charlie where shall it come off prize fightin's against the law suggested an old pauper who seemed to fear they were about to set to in the kitchen so it is old man said charlie and i would be the last to engage in such a thing but this is not a prize fight for there's no prize it's simply a fight in defence of weakness against brute strength and tyranny there were only a few of the usual inhabitants of the kitchen present at the time for it was yet early in the evening this was lucky as it permitted of the fight being gone about quietly in the upper part of the building there was an empty room of considerable size which had been used as a furniture store and happened at that time to have been cleared out with the view of adding it to the lodging there it was arranged the event should come off and to this apartment proceeded all the inhabitants of the kitchen who were interested in the matter a good many however remained behind some because they did not like fights some because they did not believe that the parties were in earnest others because they were with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.